0: Welcome back to Reform Everything. I am your host and BFF, Thomas Pig, and this is the podcast that aims to expose the corruption within ourselves, within our churches, and within the society around us, and to reform each of these according to the scriptures for the glory of Christ alone. So, today's episode is going to be a bit different. For the last couple of weeks, I have been studying, writing, and recording a number of episodes on the topic of why I'm not Catholic. Pretty standard thing to do if you are a reformed guy with a podcast called Reform Everything, right? Anyway, this has been a uh, process that's been longer than I expected and has actually just honestly completely worn me down. Uh, even though I am having a good time with everything that I'm doing, learning more than I ever thought I would learn about the, you know, just everything that I'm going with. <laughs> um, so it's it's been it's been fun. I've had a good time with it, but it has been extremely, extremely like tedious and tiring. Um, So, you know, I wasn't exactly prepared as much as I thought I would be, um, and it's taken a, you know, a toll on me. Um, first off, you know, you talk for hours, uh, on end at any time that it's going to strain your body a little bit, especially the vocal cords. You know, this is what makes the money right here. This voice, that's what pays the bills in this house. Uh, not really, (laughs) um, but yeah, you know, that's that it does uh, on a serious note. It does really, you know, wear you down whenever you're you're studying and then you're writing and you're editing and you're recording and then you go back and you're like, well, oh, maybe that wasn't as good and so you have to record things again. So like that's a normal podcast, but whenever you're doing something that is uh, on a on a very high spiritual level, that also wears you down too because you realize there's a lot at stake, you know. If if I'm doing um, if I'm doing what I think is right, um, you know, I need to make sure it's it, it, it's it's presented in a well enough way that people are going to be persuaded to turn away from any errors. And on the flip side, if I'm wrong, you know, like then I, you know, I'm leading people astray. So, you know, like those are those kind of, um, I don't know, pressures that you have on, on yourself, uh, whenever you're going through this. So all that, to, you know, to be said, it's, uh, it's been a slow progress for me. Um, and then that really sucks because I value working hard and providing, you know, quality platform where ideas are examined and they're challenged and so on and so forth. Right. And doing so on a timely manner. Like, I don't want to just like pop up every once and <laughs> once in a while and be like, Hey, I'm back. You know, like I'm, I'm not, you know, like you're, uh, your ex who, you know, pops into your DMS once in a while. I don't want to be that person like, Hey, are you up? (laughs) No, I I want to be like always providing a, you know, a a consistent platform of of ideas being shared and, uh, you know, having a good time with you guys on a, on a weekly basis. So I'm hoping that once I get past uh, this little series that I'm recording with uh, why I'm not a Catholic, that I'll be able to be more regular in my, you know, posting and recording and all that good stuff. (sighs) So anyways, um, I said all that just, you know, to kind of set the stage for what I'm going to talk about today, um, you know, like kind of set the stage for the fact that, you know, the last few weeks, you know, maybe month or so, I've, I've, uh, you know, felt off, I guess, you know, it's just been, it's been a season of feeling uh, like a roller coaster, you know what I mean? and i think everybody's been in kind of roller coaster mode since you know actually last year this we're in march already of 2021 and it's been almost exactly a year since the you know two weeks to get rid of the the curve or whatever it was so we have been in lockdown mode for you know a year now and uh you know people have you know died people have been sick jobs have been lost economic tolls have been you know put on people uh, people have been isolated, you know, away from coworkers, from friends, from family members. You know, you haven't seen people over the holidays like you're used to, you haven't gone on vacation like you're used to. So we already have all this stress that's in our life, right? Stress that's in my life. And then on top of that, like I have all these, you know, just unrealistic expectations about what I'm doing with my podcast that is kind of beating down on me. And there's other things that are going on in my life. And I'll get into that a little bit later in this episode, but it's just like, <sighs> man, I can't concentrate as much as I, as I want to, you know, I've been feeling, you know, fatigue, like a few weeks ago, there were a few days where, you know, I would sleep my full eight hours a night and which i normally don't sleep eight hours. I'm like a, a normally a five to six hour kind of guy. And like, that's my prime zone, but like, I've been getting eight, nine, 10 hours of sleep at night. And then like middle of the day taking a two hour nap, right? Like you know, it's like it's like there's a lot of sleeping going on. Um, don't find you know the joy in the things that I normally like. You know, enjoy like putting together this podcast has kind of felt like a burden at times. Um, reading has been feeling like a burden. Like I want to go hiking, but then I really don't just want to do anything. Um, even like sitting down and watching my favorite movies or TV shows or even you know like playing video games mindlessly for hours is just not as enjoyable as what it should be, right? Um, and you know, I, I, it's kind of dawned on me that, Hey, I've probably been going through a bout of depression and with everything that's been going on in life, like who hasn't felt a, a bit of depression at least once over the last year. Um, and, and, and honestly, this is a feeling that I have kind of known quite well over my, especially my adult life. Um, and so I, I know the signs of it, you know, like I said, the hours of sleeping and just like feeling like I need to sleep more and more the. You know, dissatisfaction and, or the unsatisfaction, I should say, uh, and, and things that I would normally find satisfying the, the isolation, all those kind of things that I just point out, right? Like those are all kind of telltale signs for me for depression. Um, and, and so it's like, oh, this sucks, you know? Um, I don't want to be the person that's kind of bringing down the party, <laughs> you know, that is, uh, you know, the Debbie Downer or whatever, but it's like, you gotta, you gotta be honest about your feelings and you've got to be truthful with, with how you are in life and and where you are, because um, that's how you get better, right? Like you don't, you don't get better by just ignoring things or by putting them on the back burner. You get better by talking about them, by acknowledging them and by moving forward. So um, that's, it's kind of where I am right now, you know, like in this kind of semi-depressed state, I think I was a little bit worse a few weeks back. Um, I think I hit more or less rock bottom and uh, I'm kind of building my way back up. So like, if you think about an analogy, right. Um, I would say um, think about the, the, the beginning of winter. Okay. So you're December, what is it? December 21st, the first day of winter. It's also known as here in the nor- Northern hemisphere as the, you know, shortest day of, you know, of the year, not like that. The day is actually shorter, but the daylight's shorter. You know what I mean? It's like, you have what? hours between like seven 30 and four o'clock. Those, you know, in the afternoon, those are your hours of light. Um, and it's just, it's soul sucking. It, it's, it's just like the worst time of year. I hate it. I hate it so much with no light in the evening time, you know, I make man kill me. <laughs> um, but I also know that the next day, December 22nd or whatever day that would be right. The next day after the first day of winter, I know something happens and I know that, the next day is a few minutes longer like there's a few more a few more minutes of daylight so instead of like sun coming up at like 7:30 maybe it's like coming up at like 7:25 you know instead of going down at like you know 4 it's maybe it's going down at 4:02 something like that and so slowly each day as you progress 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 you know eventually you start getting more and more hours of light and that just like that for me that's the best thing ever like hitting that time in in summer or like whenever summer hits that first day of summer Oh man, you have like 19 hours of light. (laughs) I love it. I love being able to still see a little bit of daylight at you know 9 p.m. Like mm, it's man, that's that's for me is the best. That's the best feeling. And so I say that because that's that's kind of how life has felt with me with this whole depression mode. Is like kind of hit you know winter right? I kind of hit the the least amount of of light in my life, and and now I'm slowly going back up. You know, like I'm not there where I want to be, but you know, Hey, it's March, right? You know, there's daylight at 6 PM right now. So that that's, that's a win for me, you know? Um, and, and that's where, that's where I am. So, um, yeah, it's, it's like, it's, it feels good to be able to see that you're slowly climbing out, even though that, you know, that, Hey, um, you could fall back in, um, or that it may still be a slow progression that you're not going to have all your, your answers provided tomorrow or something like that. So yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's kind of the analogy that I would say. Um, and, and that's the sort of the cycle that works for me or not. I don't want to say works for me, but this is a cycle that operates within me. Um, whenever I deal with, with bouts of depression, Uh, I'm not sure how it works with other people. Maybe they, they feel, um, if there is no cycle, maybe it's a long cycle, maybe it's a short cycle. I don't know how it works for others, but it's how it works for me. Um, I kind of slide into darkness, hit a deep spot feels like nothing's going to get better. And then eventually just actually starts getting better on its own. Um, and then those dark days kind of become a memory of the past. Right. So that's, that's sort of my, my cycle. Um, and, and so I, I, with this kind of going on in my life right now, it's been like on my mind to, to think about talking about depression. Right. Um, it's something that I think is is a very important and very. It's always a timely topic, um, no matter if there's a pandemic going on or economic crisis going on or whatever going on in the world. Like, people suffer from depression even if we're in the best of circumstances within our society, right? It's just a, it's an a natural part of life. Um, people can have all the money in the world, have you know the best looking spouse, and have all the pleasures and everything like that, and still feel depressed. Like it's it's not. Um, it's not like depression is just for people who are jobless or going through a rough patch uh, in, in their circumstances. Like it can hit anyone at any time. Um, and so it's important to talk about it, to, to recognize what the symptoms are in you and to recognize seeing how you progress through it, right? Because what happens I think for a lot of people is that they get into a cycle of depression and they don't see a way out of it. And that's whenever things get really serious. Whenever we start thinking about people, you know, doing self-harm and and suicide and, um, just really, you know, maybe even engaging in, you know, um, addictive, um, habits such like, you know, addictive sex habits or addictive, um, you know, drug or alcohol habits or whatever the case may be, right? Like the, the spiral starts because people don't really know how to get out of that cycle that they're in. Um, so What I, what I, what I hope to do today is kind of talk about my own experience. This isn't going to be a, you know, I'm not a professional. I'm not going to give any professional advice to anyone. I I can't diagnose anyone. Um, but what I can't do is talk about myself and kind of, um, give an insight to how I operate and maybe someone out there operates similar to me, or maybe you can kind of analyze how I operate and then you can analyze yourself in that same way and figure out how to help yourself out. You know what I mean? Um. And at the end of the day, what I hope people will realize is that it's okay to talk about these things. You know, it's, it's not a stigma, you know, uh, back in January, I had my friend Ken on the uh, podcast and he's a therapist and, um, you know, speaks with college students and, and other people in and, you know, different parts of their, uh, their, their life. And, um, you know, he deals with people with depression and isolation and all these other things. And, um, you know, one of the things that he said was that people just need to feel normal with talking about it. And, and so, that's what I'm trying to do is is be normal, normalizing this. Talk about how I'm feeling, how I've felt, things I've gone through. Um, Maybe like triggers that have you know caused these feelings in me, uh, in, in the hopes of it makes someone else feel more comfortable with how they feel. And even right now, uh, I've been engaging in a conversation with one of my siblings, um, actually a couple of my siblings, talking about how um, you know their mental health is you know is doing, and um, fact that they need to. Uh, Maybe talk to a therapist or, you know, figure out things in their own life of how to get past where they are now and not seeing their temporary circumstances um, as long term, but rather they are temporary and they will go away eventually um, and, and trying to find the hope in that so. Um, what I hope this will do outside of obviously talking about, uh, or making it more normal to talk about depression is I, I hope that this will kind of lead into a conversation that I want actually want to have with my wife on this podcast in a, uh, soon to come, um, episode, and that would be about grief and loss. And, and so that I, I will talk about my, my grief and loss during this conversation today. Um, but I, I want to kind of do a, a an interview with her. Um, in the few, in, you know, coming weeks, next few weeks, um, and, and really talk about how we've, uh, gone through grief and loss and how that's impacted our lives and, you know, ways that we've kind of overcome it and still things that we struggle with and all that kind of stuff. So these, these topics are, they're heavy, um, but they need to be talked about because still too many people feel shame in talking about them. Um, they don't know where to look for help. They don't know, um, how many other people are actually dealing with the same things that they are dealing with. So <laughs> that being said, all that out of the way, um, let's just go ahead. We're going to, I hope I don't bore you too much talking about myself, <laughs> but that's what I'm going to do today. And uh, maybe you'll get some juicy stories out of me, I guess. I, I don't know. You can, you can say, Ooh, we got the tea on Thomas. <laughs> um, but I would say this. Okay. My, my, my depression, I, I would say comes from a number of causes. Um, one cause might be that there is a chemical imbalance or, or something like that. I, I don't know. I've never been formally, officially diagnosed by a uh, mental health specialist or anything like that. Um, I do know the signs, and I'm not saying that I am, a, uh, you know, okay, I'll say this. Despite what my wife says <laughs> about me being a hypochondriac, and, you know, be, uh, I, I always joke with people that I have a, a degree from, um, you know, WebMD. Uh, I have a medical medical degree from WebMD because I spent a lot of time on there. I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not thinking that this is a self-diagnosis of like, oh, look at me, you know, I just want to be special and have this kind of like, this is a sort of thing that you don't want to have, right? Depression, no one, like who wants to have depression? Like you don't want to feel like you're completely worthless and have no value in life and think that there's, you know, nothing that you can do to b- make it better, right? Like you really want to have that? No, no, you don't. So I don't think this is just a self-diagnosis of being like, Oh, look at me. You feel special for me. feel pity for me. I don't want your pity. In fact, that's the complete opposite of what I want. Um, I, I don't, that's, that's actually, I don't know. Part of the reason why I haven't gone to a therapist, I think is because I don't want people to like sit there and like feel bad for me. I feel like that's incredibly demeaning towards me. And like, I, I don't know. I just don't want that. I, I don't want you to feel sorry for me about anything I say today. This is just a matter of fact of how I am. And, um, you know, the things I talk about, like, I don't want you to please don't come up to me afterwards and be like, Oh, Thomas, I'm so sorry that you've gone through these things and you've experienced this. Like, please, you're going to make me feel even worse (laughs) if you actually come up to me and say those things. So please do not do that. Um, I will, I will shut you out if you do that. And that's maybe not healthy, but I will. (laughs) Um, so yeah, anyway, like I, I, I've never been officially diagnosed. Um, but I, I, I do see the symptoms enough there to say, Hey, yeah, I I'm pretty certain that this is what this is and, and, and therefore I can say that maybe there's chemical imbalance. I do see some, um, issues of, you know, some mental or behavioral health issues in my family. A number of my family members are an anti-anxiety, anti-anxiety medication. Um, that's something I also struggle with is the anxiety issue really bad. Um, like staying up until three o'clock in the middle of the night, like for no reason, just like with my heart beating for no reason. Right. That's one of those things that gets me sometimes, um, so I, I know that this exists within my family, so it could be a normal just passing on of genetic traits that are unfortunate for my mind, right? Like it could be that. Um, so I don't know though, right? Um, what I do know is that I'll, I'll, I've seen a number of situational things that have happened in my life, life circumstances that I think have been triggers um, for uh, a depressive or even anxi- like anxious, I guess, mindset. Um, and, I, and I know that there's a lot of families out there. Most every family out there has experienced tragedies, right? And many families have experienced many tragedies. Um, so I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, my family's like the worst off and oh, poor us or anything like that. Like, no, like we all go through this. I'm just, what I'm saying is like, this is where I, my, my primary explanation of where my depression, depression comes from is from like life circumstances, like things I've gone through that have just kind of built into me over time. Kind of maybe altered my brain, or or whatever, maybe altered my expectations of, of what reality should be. Um, so that's that's where I'm going to be speaking from is from ex- one from experience and not from like an official diagnosis from any kind of therapist or anything like that. Um, so one thing that I, I would say in, in finding this um, this sort of um, actually before I get into this, uh, most of you will know about the debates between you know, biologists and psychologists and everyone else, anthropologists, all the other ologists out there about like nature versus nurture, right? You have like, we just kind of talked about that a little bit about how there are like natural things that happen that maybe that's why people are the way they are. And there's also the, I guess, nurture aspect where it's more taught or passed down through tradition or experience or whatever the case. Right. So, um, what I'm going to talk about is, um, more of a nurturing thing. So I think that there have been some things that have been passed down throughout the ages to where I am now. And that's part of, so it's not just my lived experience, but it's also the lived experience of say my parents, my grandparents, so on like these kind of things have been passed on. So I just want to make that clear before I get into what I'm about to say. So um, my dad, he speaks of uh, his grandfather, uh, who was my great grandfather. Um, This man, uh, his name's Kenneth, uh, well, his name was Kenneth because he's no longer with us. Um, but he, he, you know, he helped raise my dad, um, during my dad's formative years. Uh, my dad lovingly calls him Rune. I, I don't know the story behind that, but he calls him Rune all the time, even though his name's Kenneth. Um, and so when he speaks of Rune, he speaks of a man that suffered all kinds of unfortunate life experiences, a man that really, if you were to be alive today and, uh, you know, diagnosed by someone would probably be like diagnosed as like a very bitter, depressed man. Um, he was a man that kind of grew up with a depression lurking in the background not not like the mental depression but like the actual great depression when you know 1930s when everyone lost basically everything and you know the dust bowl and everything was going on so those were like sort of his formative years if i remember correctly he graduated or he would have graduated high school if he would have gone through with it basically somewhere in the late 20s so you know you think about his young adult life you know depression right after going through and seeing maybe country is going through a good place after the war, uh, you know, world war one. And then you have like the roaring twenties and then suddenly all that disappears and you're left without anything. Right. So now imagine you don't have anything in the first place and then the depression hits. Right. So you're even worse off. So I think that's kind of like his formate, like his formative years was going through that. Um, eventually, you know, he did, you know, find work in a factory. I'm not, I'm not sure exactly of the timeline. Cause you know, obviously I, uh, I really didn't know the man too well. He died whenever I was three or four years old. So I don't have the experience of, of knowing like the exact timelines of his, of his life. But I do know at some point it seemed like he had a, uh, you know, a job in a factory and I believe there was an accident where maybe something fell on him and left him with a long-term injury. Um, So imagine, you know, going through all these things and then also on top of that, you have a physical disability um, that maybe has caused pain or, or, or whatever gives you a limp. I, I'm not sure what that, to what extent that was. Um, he was a man that lived very modestly, obviously, you know, like where, where I come from Southern Illinois is just not a very well-off part of the country. It's, it's like much of Appalachia. Like when you think of like West Virginia, the mountainous areas of like West Virginia, Kentucky, Tennessee, and you know, Virginia, that kind of area there where it's like poor and you have a lot of blue collar, um, you know, miners and that kind of stuff. Like Southern Illinois, it was a very big mining country, the, all the mines shut down. So people were left without even having like that type of job. Um, so to say that he lived modestly would be, you know, uh, maybe, you know, overstatement, <laughs> like, you know, like, um, or understatement. That's what I should say. an Understatement. Uh, he He lived very modestly. And to the point of like, I'm talking about you live in a very hot and humid area of the country. Like summertime, you get, you know, 110 degree weather with humidity on top of that, like a hundred percent humidity or something like that. This man didn't have air conditioning. So he, he like, even when he could afford it, he didn't even buy it. Right. So th- like what I'm trying to build is like just kind of a miserable life. <laughs> um, and, and, and from what I understand, maybe he had a, a liking of the blues music genre. So you think about the blues music and you know blues, like this is all talking about like life's tragedies and and like bad things that have happened and just feeling depressed and everything like, like a whole music genre about having depression. Right. And and that was like his, maybe like one of his favorite music genres. And uh, he even had a saying that my dad repeats once in a while. Um, It's kind of passed on to me. And I kind (laughs) of, I kind of say it sometimes too. And the saying was something along the lines of such sorrow, no tomorrow. Right. Like, that, that is just, when you think about that is like so depressing to think that like today you were like in such a <laughs> a terrible stage of life, you don't even want to see tomorrow. Right. Like who cares about tomorrow? You're going to die. Right. Like it's, it's like a very depressive mindset. And, you know, as he, as he grew older, he, he did something that, you know, he had to do something that, you know, many parents saying they never want to do. Right. He had to bury his son, which my dad's dad, right. My dad's dad died. Massive heart attack, and uh, you know, I think he was like 45, 46, something like that. So, you know, my grandpa was relatively young. He died, and his dad had to bury him. You know, you think you would think that by the time you're in your seventies or eighties, um, or sixties, seventies, eighties, right? Like, you're not going to be burying your children; that they're going to be burying you sooner rather than later, right? And here he is, going through this you know, depressive life. And then on top of that, you know, burying his son. And on top of that, now he has a grandson that he's raising because his son has died and his grandson has, has no one else to raise him. And and so that's kind of where, um, where my dad comes into place, right? I think about my dad who at the age of, I don't know, 13, 14, 15, lost his, his, his father, his, his hero, the man that worked night and day to provide for him. And now he's left with his grandfather, who's kind of a, you know, hard on him, you know, it was really hard on him about things. Um, and my dad just wants to, you know, never process his grief for his loss, his tragedy, right. Doesn't have the support at home because grandpa has lived with all this depression, all of his years, and just basically has a mindset of get over it. You're going to die anyways. And, uh you know, now you have a young man in the eighties uh, without any real parental oversight who starts partying and, um, and all this other stuff. Right. And so imagine now my, my, my great grandfather, Kenneth, um, having raised this little hellion of a, of a man, of a young man uh, who doesn't listen to him or anything like that. Like you can see where there's just all of this tragedy and and chaos and sorrow and depression and and and, gr- and grief and trauma. That's unanswered. That's, that's undealt with. Um, and, and what I could tell you about, okay, just last bit about my grandfather here, or my great grandfather here. Okay. Um, I have several pictures of him and in none of the pictures have I ever seen him smiling. Not a single one, not even whenever he's with his wife, not if he's holding me, not if he, whoever, right. He's never smiling. Maybe one of them exists out there. I just, I've never seen it. And, um, You know, I have other pictures of other ancestors, like my great-great-grandfather and great-great-great-grandfather. And these are all men had tough lives. They never smiled. Their wives never smiled. You know, it's very depressing to to sit here and see just people living miserably. And um, it feels like, you know, it's been passed on, passed on, passed on, passed on. Right. And I mentioned my dad a while ago, right? Like having lost his own father. Um, you know, losing a family member at any age is hard, especially whenever you're, you're a kid and um, you don't have anyone else. And I see my dad um, who was already bullied in school because he had the last name Pig, right? <laughs> I, I I could tell you from my own experience, that's, you know, bully central right there. Um, side note, I used to do some uh, substitute teaching and it was funny because Middle schoolers, they never change. Whenever I was in middle school, man, I just got teased all the time for having the last name of pig. As an adult, I went to go substitute teach. I would go as a teacher. I was the one with authority and those little, you know, <laughs> twits in, in middle school, man, they were d- d- like telling the same jokes that the, that I heard whenever I was in middle school. And I was like, man, why are, why are kids this age so, so awful? So anyways, like think about my dad, right? Having a, um, you know, uh, I don't know, uh, a bitter grandfather who's raising him, losing his father, not having his mom around, um, not having anyone to help him deal with his grief, partying and everything like that, having the uh, the name Pig, which people uh, embarrassed him for. He came from, uh, you know, more or less a uh, lower class family. Um, and then on top of that, he also has a stutter. Um And so he's faced all this kind of like isolation and he just wants to be out there and be popular and cool. And then people kind of beat him down on it and stuff like that. Right. And so I see my dad, you know, going through trauma and depression and things that he has never really wanted to speak about. It's just too hard for him to talk about. Right. And and it's not just my dad either. My mom, my goodness. Um, At the age of 12, my mom she lost both of her parents in one month's time like at the beginning of the month one of her parents died and then at the end of the month her other parent died she was 12 imagine how awful and terrifying that would be you go from living a normal life with your parents people that love you and raise you and and care for you more than the world and then all that stability and love is just ripped away in a in a, the time span of you know a month not even a full month i think it was in february so it's like you you don't even have the 30 days right or 31 days it's 28 days like so a short like four weeks time you have all of your your life just turned upside down and now you're taken out of your home you're uh you're moving from family member to family member maybe you're with your your stepmom or your stepdad and then you're going to live with your your older sisters and you know maybe you feel like you're a burden because now these people are having to take care of you and all this stuff um and they're not even like your parents they're like so they don't have the obligation of taking care of you, but they are and so maybe you feel that like wow, I'm being a burden on them um and and it's just it's hard how does a child deal with that and and the truth is like I don't think that they really can be and I speak from knowing my mom she's like 40 years removed from the death of her parents and it still causes pain in heart. I mean, she just, you know, I I guess, I don't know, say celebrate, but she just uh, marked the anniversary of their death just, you know, a few weeks ago. Right. And it's still hard on her. And um, it, I don't know. It just, it's crazy to think how this much could happen to people. And uh, you know, my parents both going through all these things and having tragedies and depression and everything else pass on to them. And they find each other, you know. Seems like uh, misery finds company, right? Um, and, and that's what happened. They 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 found each other. They were living this rebellious partying lifestyle. It was the late '80s, so you can imagine everything they were doing. They were young and in love, and whoops! All of a sudden, they had an unplanned pregnancy on the way. Yours truly, right? Um, <laughs> you know, I I like to think to myself like man. All, of all the things for the, the bad things that happened to my parents, it had to be me coming along, right? <laughs> uh, you know, 17 years old. They were 17, found out they were pregnant. Neither one finished high school, let alone thinking about going to college, right? Both of them worked multiple jobs trying to provide for their new family. Uh, and over time, you know the, you know, they were married and... Um, through all the stress of the financial stress, uh, because they weren't properly set up with the stability in their life. They didn't have anyone telling them how to be parents, stuff like that. Um, telling them how to be loving spouses. Their marriage ended pretty terribly, if I might say so. Um and it was uh, it was just it was awful, you know? Um I would say up to that point in my, my life, you know, from the, from when I was born to the 17, 18 year old, you know, kids to whenever I was about 10 years old, life was okay. It wasn't always the best. Like we, we, we basically lived in a seas, uh, like a series of, uh, you know, seasons. Okay. Let me repeat that. We lived in a series of seasons of like fat feasting and then famine. So one year you may have a really good year and like, you have like really nice new clothes and, new toys and stuff like that. And then the next year it's like, you know, your parents are struggling to keep the power on. So it was like, it was like those type of, um, that was, that was my life basically growing up and it wasn't all bad, you know, like it wasn't terrible because I look at those years and I I, I see all the pictures of how happy I was, like even in hand-me-down clothes and stuff like that it was, it was very happy. And it was because, you know, I had my mom and my dad and myself and my little sister, we were all together. We had a family, right? So it was like, all right, like we can get through this. Even if things are hard, we can get through it. But then that all ended when I was 10, you know, my, my parents, they, they could not reconcile the differences that they had and, um, some very big differences, I might say. And, uh, you know, my sister and I now experienced what so many kids in our culture experience of this awful divorce. And, um, you know, without revealing too much about my, my, my family situation at the time, um, I'll say that it was it was a very hard divorce on us kids, in um, the fact that we were often caught in the middle of these two quarreling parents, these people, ex lovers, ex married partners, right, Um, who just overnight basically developed an intense hatred for each other. Um, and I will say, at, at this time speaking, m- my parents don't hate each other anymore. They've since buried the hatchet and are able to ha- like even celebrate holidays together um whenever like all the kids are around and everything like that so like it's it's cool like things people have matured over time so that's great and everything like but at the time it was awful um and, and I think this is where my own experience with depression came right like this was my first experience with depression is whenever my dad came to me and it said in the middle of the night woke me up and said I can't live with you anymore and then he walked out the door and hey never lived with him again right like that's where my depression came from Um, That's where my first experience with it came. And and because soon afterwards, and I know this is my first experience with depression, because soon afterwards, me going from uh, just really a really great student in school, um, like one of my teacher's favorites, um, it's to being my grades were suffering. Um, I was getting in fights with kids on the playground. Um, Normally, I would have been very passive type of person letting things go by and not, you know, people may tease me about my, my last name and I would like whatever, laugh with them, make jokes and whatever. But then it got to the point where all these emotions were inside of me, not knowing how to fill and and um, how to, you know, kind of deal with things. Um, you know, I had, I had anger and confusion and heartache and all these other things. And so that meant that like, someone said something to me and instead of laughing about it and, you know, moving on, it was like, Okay. Now I'm going to insult them and I'm going to be aggressive towards them. And now we're going to get in a fight and everything like that, right? Like that happened to me for, for a period of time, whenever I was fourth, fifth grade. Um, I, <laughs> this is whenever I had my first experience with a counselor and this is probably why I don't think well of therapists now. Um, again, Side note, I think you should go to a therapist. I just have my own bad experience, right? Um, School counselor pulled me aside, said, hey, the teacher's noticed that you're having a hard time with things, blah, 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 what's going on. Explain things, explain my feelings. And the counselor told me, oh, okay, well, what you've got to do is take all of your feelings. You've got to put it inside like a shoebox or something like that, put the lid on it, and then put it underneath your bed and not think about it. And that's how I was supposed to deal with things. And, uh, that's how I dealt with things for many years of my life was basically saying, oh, there's something wrong. I'm going to ignore it and I'm going to put it away for a later date. And let me tell you right now, that is not a good strategy. It it, like, honestly, some of the worst advice that I think that could be given to anyone is to sit here and say, ignore your problems, deal with it later. The end, right? Like that's, that's not, that's not healthy for you at all. And, and really it causes more problems down the road. Um, and so (laughs) <laughs> this is something that was like, not only taught to me by my, my family being passed down through the years of them, not dealing with problems, but also like now here's a, a trusted school counselor telling me the same thing. Like if you're a impressionable kid, you do it. Right. Um, so, you know, through the next years, as I go through, you know, middle school and high school and into college, it's like the same kind of thing. Like I see like these cycles of ups and downs, um, you know, high school was kind of, you know, weird for everyone. You know, these, these are the formative years, right? You're going through puberty and you're going through life changes, your voice changes, your uh, body starts getting hair on your chest and stuff like that. Right. And you like start smelling bad if you don't wear deodorant and all these kind of things. So it's like, you go through all those changes and everyone feels uncomfortable uh, and, and everyone feels like they're the only one that feels uncomfortable. Right. And no one else is like that and everyone else is better off. And I'm just the only one like, like who I am. Right. So I experienced those typical teenaged angst you know, like I, I went through what normal people went through and it wasn't really terrible. Um, I mean, there were some times, I guess, that were probably worse off than others. Like um, God, <laughs> freshman year, uh, telling a girl I liked her and then she telling everyone else in the class that I liked her. And then older classmates were like making fun of me and Oh man. (laughs) It's one of those things I look back and I'm like, so cringe, like those moments I cringe about and uh, thinking about how hard that really hit me. It's like, here I am trying to express my feelings and like, it basically just blows up in my face. Right. Um, So, so I say all that um, because first off, I like to go on tangents and I can't control myself sometimes, but also just to like show like there's like a normal cycle that people go through. Um, And I even see it like with my own kid right now who's 16 turned 16 just a few months ago. And she, she's been through a lot of trauma in her life. Um, and thankfully she's been able to get past a lot of it and to find ways to cope with it, but she still has her moments because she's 16. Like she's trying to figure out who she is in life and trying to figure out where she fits in and you know, where she feels mo- most comfortable with and, and everything like that. So there's normal ups and downs whenever you go through your, your formative years, right? Um, and sometimes that can lead into depression um, where people, they don't know where they fit in and so um, they become depressed about it and, and just kind of get into the cycle of like, I'm never going to be better and blah, 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 right? That, that's, that's, that happens. That happens to a lot of people. Um, I experienced some of that, not as much though, right? where I really started hitting hard was whenever I got to college. Um, so that's actually where I, I really started hitting like rock bottom. Um, it was, um, for lack of better term, I'm not, I'm not saying this about myself, like diagnosing myself like this, but I was going to say it's like a bipolar time of my life where, um, I was either really, really happy or I was really, really just at the bottom of, of everything. Right. So like I could be with my friends and and be happy, you know, my college buddies and be like, Hey, things are great. Um, and then just like the next week just feel completely awful. Like literally I want to kill myself kind of thing. Um, that was, that was, that was where I actually started struggling with a, uh, a suicidal ideation of, you know, what would be the best way to just, in my life, right? Like up to this point, things have just kind of sucked and, uh, it's getting worse and worse and worse as I go on, like things are not changing for me. And so, um, not having identity, not dealing with the past and with all the feelings that I had, it just really led me to a dar- dark place. And it, again, I saw, um, similar things as to whenever I was a kid and it was like grades slipped, you know, um, I isolated myself from people. I was, you know, even aggressive and I got into addictive personality habits and and just all these kinds of things. Right. It was, it was just a bad part of my life. And um, you know, I'm thankful that during that time I didn't take any action to cause harm to myself. Um, But I look back and I do see that, you know, there were some friendships and stuff that maybe um, I burned and I feel bad about that now. Um, And, you know, you know, there is an excuse, but I also felt at the same time maybe it shouldn't be an excuse. Like, I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, it, it was just one of those things. It's like, I'm glad that ultimately I was able to get through it, but man, there were still some casualty, casualties along the way. Um, and, and finally, you know, it did go away, right? Like, the the depression did go away probably my junior year, soft, late, late sophomore, early junior year of, of college. Um, so, you know, thinking about, how old would I be like 2021-ish? Um, and that's whenever I actually became a believer in Jesus, I started following Christ. Um, and things did improve. Like I had a community of people around me. Um, I was learning new things about myself, finding like a true identity of who I'm supposed to be. I had goals in my life that I was trying to achieve. And so like, boom, started seeing my grades go up. I was actually getting up and going to class on time. And <laughs> that, was a, that was a problem. I had a lot of people... Uh, I was like, how are you even still in college? Cause you skip all your classes, right? Like that was, that was a major problem for me. Like just skipping all my classes because of of depression and, and, and everything. Um, but, you know, things did start getting better after I found this community of, of believers and I became a believer myself and, you know, just got a lot of guilt and shame out of my way and understanding how to feel about things. Like it was like, things were going great, but you know, those high periods don't last as long as you want them to. Right. Um, eventually it was like. I realized that I was not super Christian. And despite the fact that I, you know, like I had like an overnight change and became so zealous and was doing all these things, like I did eventually fall back into sinful habits and doing things that I shouldn't have done, even especially as, uh, you know, someone who was a leader in a, um, a campus ministry, right? Like doing things that I shouldn't have done. And that put a lot of guilt and shame in me. Um, you know, I was trying to manage that <laughs> on the side, uh, and it didn't work well. And then next, what happened, you know, I graduated, it was the middle of the great recession, you know, back in the period of between 2007, 2009, whenever this economic bubble happened and popped and people lost their jobs and worst economic crisis since the great depression. And that was what I was graduating into. Um, and so here was a man or young man, I should say that had high hopes of going out and changing the world. And now he can't even find a job. Um, you know, it, it, you know, like it really, really causes, uh, some rustling in your mind. And, and, um, it, it really like, it's just like a gateway to falling back into those old cycles that you're used to. And so, um, I, I was living back at home away from my community. Like I had my family, right. But my family was still kind of messed up in the fact that they, 15 years after divorce, they were still arguing and I was still finding myself in between my, my parents fighting and and stuff like that. Um, and you know, I'm living at home away from all my, my friends away from my church community that, um, that gave me a new life and everything like that. I was away from my girlfriend who then broke up with me because of the distance and other things going on. You know, I was, you know, finally found a job. So I was able to at least pay my bills, but I was pushing carts at Walmart. Right. (laughs) Like, how humiliating is that, that you go from, you know, having like high hopes to like working governments and whatever. Right. And you're like going back to your hometown, living at home with mom, pushing carts and you see other people that you graduate from high school with. And somehow like they have nice jobs. Um, they, you know, have nice, these nice vocations where they're welders or plumbers and they make good money. And like, you're pushing carts for $7 an hour, you know? And, um, it's just like, it was like very humiliating time in my life of just disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. And so it was, it was, man, big depression. In fact, I would say out of all of the times that I've experienced depression, this probably was the the second worst. Um, and I'll talk about the worst in a few minutes. Um, it, it, was, it was, it was really bad um, because I, I I thought that being a Christian, that things were going to be better for me, right? Like, Hey, things are going to be good for me. Um, But here I am struggling with the same things that I struggled with in the past and, uh, you know, want to die, you know, like, you know, maybe I should just take my own life because Hey, um, you know, if I ask for forgiveness at the last minute or whatever, I can still go be in heaven with Jesus and things will be better. Right. Like that was, that was the mindset that I had. Um, and, And so it's at this point that I would like to actually change topic just a little bit before getting into the rest of my story here and and talk about something that made matters worse, um, during this time period. And it was, I don't know, (laughs) I would say it's, it's probably a reoccurring theme over the last decade of my life. Um, whenever I struggled with, uh, depression, um, is this idea of, uh, well, that's not the idea. It's actually just other Christians, right? Um, you know, having this community around you is, is a great help whenever you're going through tough times in your life. People there are listening to you and sharing life experiences with you and everything like that, giving you advice and telling you Bible quotes and stuff like that. Like it could be very helpful. At the same time, it could be also very harmful um, because many Christians, they, like there are two things they have going for them, right? Especially in the U.S. I, I don't know if this is the way in other places, but in the U.S., American Christians are like really this way they're overall good people. Right. And and so because they're good people, they have like this urge inside of them. Like you see something wrong, you want to either say something or you want to do something right. Like it's like this, this natural urge in you to say something, anything almost right. Like it would be, it would be like a crime to do nothing. Right. Like, like the worst thing you could do, it would be say nothing or do nothing. So that's the mentality that they work with. So they are saying something or they're doing something. And the second thing would be there are, they're not professionals, right? (laughs) And they're maybe not the most well-educated in the idea of uh, mental health or whatever. So they don't actually know what is helpful or good to say. So they have this urge to do or say something and they don't know what to do or say, they don't know the proper things to do. So they're just kind of spewing out anything that comes up. So they, they, uh, you know, may have um, said things like, well, you know, Christians really can't be depressed. You're just going through a a bad time in your life. Like no Christian can ever be depressed. That's just not, it's not biblical, right? That's one thing I heard. Um, Or, Hey, this isn't a natural part of life. This isn't something that happens to people. It's demonic oppression. So therefore there must be something going on in your life that has caused this. have you, have you watched any you know, supernatural movies, or have you done this or that done that? Have you seen, you know, a psychic that, you know, some way something has happened for this demonic oppressive force to attach itself to your life and cause you to have depression. So that was something I heard, right? Um, Just pray. It'll, It'll go away. Just keep praying. You know how many times I prayed for things to go away and, and, That doesn't work. (laughs) Uh, It it can work. Don't get me wrong. Like prayer absolutely can work, but what do you do whenever you pray for months and months and months, and you're still wrestling with the same things and you're crying out, right? If it was, if it was that easy, then no one would have depression. If it was easy, just easy enough to have depression go away as me getting down on my knees and saying, God, please take the depression away. Like, don't you think everybody would be doing that? (laughs) Um, But you know, Christian after Christian after Christian said things like that to me. And, you know, they are all well-intentioned, right? Um, and they would say things like, oh, God works in mysterious ways. And, you know, this is just a, a period of of testing in your life. And um, you have to have a little bit more faith and it will go away. Have you prayed about it? Or even at this point, like, what hidden sin do you have? Now imagine, like, you are doing your best that you can. Like, everyone sins, Right but you're doing your best. You can, you're, you're reading your Bible, you're fasting, you're praying, you're going to church. You are doing all the disciplines that you need to be doing. And you're struggling with depression for other reasons. Right. And they're saying, well, what hidden sin do you have? That puts unnecessary guilt and shame into people um, that they don't deserve to have. It's not a helpful thing to say. It's not, it's not a good thing to to try to bring up. I mean, they could have sin that could, I mean, like it literally could be a, a, a good thing uh, or not good a thing. It could be a right thing that's actually happening to someone. Like I I certainly know that sin can produce depression and bad life choices. Right. Um, But that's not always the case. So we can't go in assuming that that's what's going on with someone. Um, And it's just like, man, I wish that life were just black and white like that, but life is much more complex. And, and the fact of the matter is this, I don't need anyone to fix me. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, you actually cannot fix me. The person that's listening to my voice right now, there's nothing that you can do in your power or your wisdom or whatever that you can do, right? There's nothing you can do to fix me. So if you can't fix me, why are you trying to give me easy fixes? Right? Why are you trying to provide me with, with things that are not actually going to fix me in the end? So I would say that what other Christians need to understand and and really think about whenever they're dealing with someone who is struggling with, you know, an episode in their life that maybe is causing them to be depressed or anxious or whatever the case may be, right? Like what they really need you to do is to sit down and try to understand them not to fix, like, don't sit down with the, with the mindset that after an hour of talking to me that you're going to have the right words that are going to change my life. And what I need you to do is being willing to sit down for that hour and listen to me and be patient with me. And you know, like I hate talking about my feelings, but like, I need you to be there and be willing to listen. If I decide to talk, I don't need your fixes. I, I don't need you in your infinite power, right? <laughs> Which you know that's a joke obviously you don't have infinite power you can't fix me so don't come to me trying to fix me pray with me pray for me fast with me walk alongside me right and if i fall please help me get back up but realize that you're not going to be able to change my life for me that alone comes from 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 god it, it's beyond your hands and thinking that you can do god's work Like, uh, you know, (laughs) it can lead to disastrous results, right? Um, Because if I start to rely on you instead of going to God, then my problems are never going to get solved. Because guess what? If I rely on you or my pastor or other people as my, my source of comfort and my source of, um, you know, fixing, right? My, my salvation, more or less, if I rely on you, guess what happens if that doesn't work? Now I'm going to have like bitter feelings towards you. I'm going to want to not be around you. I'm not going to want to fellowship with you. So yeah, we just got to get that out of our minds that we're going to, and I say this to myself because I have people that I talk with too. And I have to realize like, I can't fix them. I am the type of person. I, I do want to fix people. Like my wife is having problems. I want to fix those problems right away. Cause I don't want to see her suffer. Right. Like, again, it comes from a right heart. It's just, we don't have the right things to do it. You know, we don't have the tools to do that. Right. We have to, do what we can in our human abilities and then allow for God to do the rest. Um, and so this, this whole concept of um, man <laughs> of other Christians being like sort of the worst part of depression, <laughs> whenever you're a Christian um, this really made itself known whenever um, Okay, I'm going to try not to get choked up here because this is still something that's pretty hard for me to talk about at times. But um, when my 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 wife and I lost our our twin baby girls, and it's almost been five years, right? And uh, it's still hard to to sometimes talk about. Sometimes it's easy to talk about, like when my wife and I are talking about it, like it's very easy for us to talk about. But sometimes sharing this with other people is kind of hard to to really get out there. But what I noticed was that whenever it came to this this specific instance of my wife and I you know she was 7 months pregnant and we lost our babies you know stillbirth and um what i noticed was that those other christians normally whenever i came and would say hey i have depression in my life i'm going through a rough patch you know they were there trying to fix things no one came around um it's funny like there was not a single christian cliche that was being thrown our way there was no Oh, God works in mysterious ways. Or, hey, just have a little faith and things will be okay. Or, hey, guys, have you thought about praying about it? Or, oh, it's only demonic oppression. <laughs> no, it's, it's like they, they knew that there were broken little bodies in a casket. They saw the casket being put into the ground. And they knew that there was no fix for it. Right? And that's how we are. As humans, really, there's, there's really no fix that we can do for ourselves. There's just nothing that we can do to get ourselves out of these predicaments. I mean, it's, it's, it's really beyond how we can fix. We're, we're all fallible people. How, how are fallible people supposed to fix other fallible people? If we're in error, if we are prone to mistakes, how are we able to accurately help someone else out of their situation? Right. It just it's just the way it is, um, but you know it, it was it was really bad because I was expecting Christian community to really surround us. Um, those things that I was talking about earlier, like I need people to sit down with me and listen to me whenever I'm willing to talk or willing to cry with me, uh, or, or or just try to you know be patient with me or whatever. And suddenly, the community that we had around us. Almost entirely disappeared, there were a few people that um that that stayed, and they were really helpful with us through through this whole process and I don't know if he listens to this, but I really think about um a housemate that I had Julio and his wife Lisa. They were very helpful to my wife and I during this process, and you know I'm forever grateful for their their hearts being poured out into us during that, but there were so many people who were not there for us people that um, I guess they came to a point and realized that they can't fix what's going on. So they're not going to be around because, um, you know, maybe they were, you know, too shocked or, you know, they didn't know what to do now and they couldn't just offer a quick fix. And so therefore they're not going to come around or uh, I, I don't know the, all the reasons, but all what I do know is that some of my best friends, the people that I, I trusted most with my life you know, poured my heart into, um, poured my heart out to, you know, shared with life experiences with like, even people I had in my wedding party, you know, people that were very dear to my wife and I, they, they just left us behind. They, they didn't come around. And I'm not saying this to, to guilt trip anyone. Like, and if you were one of those people who were, who were not there with us in life at that time, like, I don't want you to, you know, get upset about this, right? Like I'm not calling you out right now and and trying to make you feel bad about what happened. It happened, right? I'm, I'm over that, but I'm just saying at the time it was awful. It was terrible. And let me tell you, how's that for depression, right? (laughs) It wasn't enough to see my own flesh and blood lifeless on a monitor coming out, hoping that they would There was a mistake that they would be crying whenever they would come out. Instead, their little bodies were just there, lifeless, cold. Seeing them in cute little dresses that normally would be like, oh, wow, how precious. And their bodies were just not moving. There was no breathing, no crying. And there I was myself burying them into the ground. Like literally, I, I was there putting them into the ground in their casket, putting dirt on top of their casket. Not having the people that I thought would be there with me to the end, be around there with me. You know what I mean? Um, and and so that, that, that was, that was awful. And, and I, I see this happening in a lot of people's lives that, um, Whenever it comes to something like if you're just talking about, oh, general anxiety or depression, right? People are quick to offer their opinions and be wrong about everything. But they're willing to give you their easy fixes, right? But when it comes to these really hard things, they realize that they can't offer an easy fix and they just abandon you. And that's like, how, how can you be that way? Um, I, I don't know where that, where that stems from. And maybe I'm guilty of it too. And if I am, I apologize to anyone that I've been that way with, but it's, it's not, it's not good for the body of Christ to be this way. And so we've got to be better with this. We, we really do uh, because there are many people out there suffering through so many life cir- circumstances and they're not getting what they need. They need love. They need life from their community being poured into them. And like, look, we're all suffering from something, right? And none of us can really fix that for each other, but we can be there through it. And at least, you know, if if someone were to look behind them as they're going down this dark road, right, they see, hey, you have a line of friends here with you. You know how much help that would be. How much? How many more people would be able to, you know, get past the things they're going past? I think about the people who have committed suicide, and I wonder if they had just more people in their life that were willing to walk through them and listen to them and be patient with them, you know, like, yeah, it sucks being on the phone with someone at 3am for the hundredth time. But that might be the difference between life and death. And like, you know, I, I understand there's a point where you're like enabling people to do bad behaviors. And I, I would not advocate for that. Right. Like there's gotta be a point whenever you're saying, well, Hey, you keep getting yourself into the same troubles. got to back away. I'm not going to enable you right there. Like there's, there's some reasonable, you know, room there for like, you know, like to be like, Hey, we got We got to have some boundaries there. Right. But I'm talking about people who just seem, can't like, they, they, they can't seem to get over where they're at in life and they eventually lose friends because no one wants to be around the depressed guy. Right. Like that does, do you think that's going to help them get out of depression? Because it's not, um, so anyways, going going on with with talking about my story, right? And I, I see that, man, I've already talked for an hour. And so hope if you're still listening that this is giving you something. Um if not, then I, I'm sorry for wasting your time. But um anyways, we're gonna we're gonna move on. I, I'm almost done with this. And um, you know, hopefully by the by the you know next 10, 15 minutes, by the time I get done, um you'll have a, a better understanding of maybe of yourself and how to get through your own problems, right? so after my after my daughters died um one of Powell's family members actually told her um that she had a dream about me, and in the dream, I was walking into a dark, empty pit and uh to tell you the truth, I was during that period of time in a dark, empty pit, and there was not a single day of my life that I did not actively. Wish and ask for God to take my own life away from me, um, because I didn't want to live a day where I had to experience the pain of, of not having my children, right? And even to this day, I mean, like there's still days where I, I get to the point where I think about them and I'm just like, man, God, why couldn't you have just taken me instead of them? You know, could you have given me like two minutes to to see them moving around and hear them crying and knowing that they're okay, and then you could have taken my life away, and that'd been fine with me, right? so yeah that's a very dark place to be right it's not me like and and i'm just going to say this uh, because i don't want anybody to get worried about me like i do not have um i've i in my years of of getting to know myself i've moved past the suicidal ideation so whenever i say i want to die it's like i'm not wanting to take my own life i'm not going to do that so please don't worry about me in that case like i'm not going to do that i promise you i would never do that to my friends and family um what i what i mean is like when i want god to take me just like supernaturally like cause my heart to stop beating and I don't know, make me fade away into the force, like Yoda or something, like, you know, something like that. Right. Like just make me go away. Like, I don't like, you can just kill me in my sleep and that'd be fine. or Whatever. Right. And, and that was, that was literally how I was feeling for many, many days in, in that dark pit of despair. You know, and at the same time trying to deal with my own feelings and being in this dark despair pit. Right. My wife is there too. I mean, I had it bad, but my wife, I feel, had it maybe even worse. And the fact that she was the one that had the lifeless bodies inside of her, right? It wasn't like um, one day they said, oh, the babies are are past, and so we're going to get them out right now. It was like, no, she had a few days where she had like go back home and realized that these babies that she had prayed and hoped for all of her life were were not alive and they were still inside of her and they were just kind of wasting away inside of her. And um, I don't know what kind of pain that is. Like my wife went through it. And so here I am trying to deal with my own and like also be there for my wife, you know? And like, how, do you, how, how are you able to be there for someone during this situation? Right? Like, I don't know. Right. I understand why people I guess could run away because there's just, it's like, there's no way out of the situation. Like regardless of anything, no matter what you say or do, like those babies are still going to come out dead and you're still going to have to bury them. You're still going to have to deal with the fact that you're childless now. Um, so, you know, like we'd go from like hours of her crying to hours of me crying to back to hours of her crying. And, um, I did my best to try to guide her through that time, and um, you know, as a husband should, right? I think that I gave her the support that I could. Um, but man, it would have been a lot better if we had more support from people outside, right? If uh, you know, it was nice for people to come by and, and bring us food and say, "Oh, here's you know, here's a lasagna we made for you. Here's some chili, right?" Like those are good things to do. Um, it would have been even better if someone had been like is there anything you want to say? Do you want to cry for a few minutes? Like what, what, how can I stand beside you and and do this? Um, and there were very, very, very few people that did that. Just, I mean, I can count them on probably just a hand uh, of people that were willing to be that way with us. And so, um, it, it was, it was a dark period and it was a painful period. And to be quite honest for, I'm, and I know whenever I, when I talk with my wife, when we have the episode with my wife. She'll, she'll say the same thing. This is going to be a pain that never leaves us. We were talking with someone at a, our former church and, um, an older woman, you know, she was in her nineties, I think. And she spent what 50, 60 years of her life with sorrow because of the babies that she lost whenever she was younger. So it it is a, it is a level of grief and sorrow that many people don't understand. Right. And I know that there are other people who feel other griefs and sorrows that I have not felt right. Like I I'm lucky that I have both of my parents. I know people my age who've lost both of their parents. I I do not know that pain. I do not know that sorrow, but I do know is if they needed me to sit down with them, I want to be there and be available to them. You know what I mean? I may not be able to understand the level of pain and sorrow that they feel from losing a spouse, from losing their parents or whatever, but I do know that I can sit there and and let them vent it out to me. I can sit there and just be, even be quiet and then be quiet and just the presence of being there, right? Um, I can be patient with them. If they don't want to talk, I'm not going to push them. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's things that I know I can do to make it easier but i know that i can't fix it for them and part of this you know was understanding that there are going to be triggers in, in the back of people's minds um you know i i never understood ptsd until this happened to me right and you know i never understood how someone could have ptsd from this or that kind of event. Right. Like it just like didn't make sense to me. Like, Oh, PTSD can only be from like war experience. There's like true horrors of life, but like, yeah, people can have this, this post-traumatic stress and, um, and it can be triggered by a number of things. So for me, right. There are days that maybe I hear a certain sound or I smell something or I watch a video of like, you know, I have videos, um, saved on my computer and phone of like, Whenever we have the sonograms of our of our babies, um, or the uh, you know the videos that my wife would record of them moving and stuff like that, right? Watching those kind of things, it takes me back to the memories. Like there are good memories that I have, like ah yeah, like that was so precious, so sweet. And also the memories of loss, and um, you know I don't ever intentionally try to bring these things up, and I don't think anyone that goes through these sort of experiences intentionally tries to bring them up to fall into depression, right? But guess what? It does happen you do smell something, you do see something, you do hear something that, that brings you back to that experience of, of the trauma. And it takes you back to that pain. It takes you back to that black pit of despair. And so what I would want you to imagine from my perspective is so like having that in the back of your mind, right. And I don't know if I've mentioned it before on this podcast, but I've experienced a, uh, a prolonged period of joblessness, right. Um, which has been terrible for me because I, I like to be productive and I like to keep busy. And so sitting around for the last five or six months, you know, going through interview after interview and being turned down time after time, even though you're well-qualified and everything like that, and not hearing back from people and just outright being rejected, right? Like that's hard. Um, And on top of that, it's like, oh yeah, we have this pandemic going on. So, you know, you're still isolated from your church community. Um, You're isolated from doing things that you love to do your, uh, your failure of a man because you can't provide the nice things for your family like you want to. Um, your failure because no one wants you. Um, or even this, you know, people see you and they say, oh, well, Thomas is going through a tough time. So let's give him something, right? Let's give him some money. And I have had people offer me money. I'm like, you know, I thank you for your gestures. Your generosity comes from a, a noble place and I really appreciate it. But let me tell you, that's, that's really bringing me down lower than, than I already am. You know, like if I am truly in need, I will ask someone for it. But I'm not going to be a, a handout. You know, I'm not going to be someone who's sitting here with his hands out looking for someone else to to give him anything. Like that for me means that I am a failure. That I am not deserving of of anything. Like man, just just count me as complete loser, right? <laughs> um, so I hope that you would you would see at this point, like. There's a lot of things that can trigger depression to people. It's not just a, a a case of, well, you have a, a chemical imbalance that a pill is going to fix, right? Like that could be the case. Like, and I'm not, I'm not like doubting anyone who, um, who takes medicine for depression or for bi- bipolar or for anxiety or anything. Like if that's what fixes, if I won't say it, fixes you, but if that's what helps you keep things under control, then that's what you need to do, right? That's, you figure that out. Your doctors have figured that out good. Keep doing that. For some of us though, it's like, maybe that's not where our depression has come from. Maybe it's just the fact that we keep having crappy life experiences and we need to figure out something else to, to get through it. Um, so as, as my great grandfather would say, you know, such sorrow, no tomorrow, right? Like that's kind of how my life feels at this point. Like, I feel like I'm going through the same steps that has been passed to me from my family generation after generation depression after depression passed down and that's where I am right now and this is how I've been feeling the last few weeks you know so I talked a little bit about that at the beginning of, of the podcast of like yeah I've been feeling down and trying to do things and trying to get this podcast back up and, and and recorded and stuff like that but it's like it's hard to do whenever you're physically worn out you're mentally worn out you're spiritually worn out you have all these things looming in the back of your head um Back of your mind, I should say. <laughs> the back of my head is bald, so there's nothing there. Um, but the back of my mind, you know, is full of these things. Um and, and so again, like I'm s so, I I I really do apologize if this depresses you or makes you feel like sad. Like it's not my intent to fill you with sob stories to make you feel sorry for me. Like, that's the last thing that I want. Last thing that I need. I don't want your sympathy. I don't need your sympathy. I just want you to understand something, okay? I want you to understand that I I am going to I'm going to be okay. It may not be okay right now. But I've realized in my own life that things are not temporary. And like, look, even if they are long-term, I should say things are temporary, but even if they are long-term, even though if they're not as temporary as I'd want them to be, I'm still going to be okay. And it's not because of cliches or vague spiritual decrees or self-help or my, even my circumstances really changing, like I could, I could actually get a job tomorrow, which I'm hoping will happen because I have an interview this week. So fingers crossed, right? Like I could get a job and and still feel down about life because of all the other circumstances, right? Like, so I could have like certain circumstances change and still be in a depressive you know mindset, right? It could take me a while to get out of that. But that being said, I will be okay. And it's not because of, of, your quick fixes or some, you know, thing I read on a blog on the internet or anything like that. Right. It's because I, I know something, right. I actually, I know someone that has changed this game for me. And yes, I am going like, I am talking about God. (laughs) Uh, and and I'm not talking about him like in a way that, Oh, if I just appease God, like he's going to make my troubles go away. Right. I, I can only look at, the apostles, his 12 closest followers, and see that, hey, they went through some pretty crappy situations resulting in their deaths, most of them, right? But their lives were substantially better because they knew who Christ was. Their troubles didn't go away, but they were in a place where they knew the one who could fix their mindset, their hearts, their emotions, their you know, memories even, I guess, I, I don't know. Um, so it's you, 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 like, I'm not going to, I'm like, I'm not going to be, there's nothing that I can do to appease God. Like there's no amount of praying or fasting or, you know, uh, tithes that I can offer to be like, God, if you, you know, if I do this, will you scratch my back? Like, like there's that type of relationship does not exist with God. Right. I could do all these things and still have, uh, you know, death come to me. Right. I could die slowly from cancer, you know starting tomorrow right even if i lived the most righteous life so what i've learned really is isn't is like not these clichés or quick fixes or tit for tat sort of mentality right what i've learned like especially from the time of losing my daughters like is while life might be a complete mess all around me i know that god is still sovereign over life right and that can raise some issues with some people but for me i i it brings me a lot of comfort Um, You know, I think about God being uh, sovereign over Job, right? Job, he lost every single precious thing to him. And do you think that it was actually made better for him just because like, even though he lost his wife and his kids and his businesses and his health and everything like those things were restored and he got new wife and new kids. Do you think that took away the sorrow of losing all the things before? I don't think so. Right. It doesn't say in the scriptures that it did take away, but I would imagine if he was just a man like any other man, that there would be some real heartache and trauma that would follow him the rest of his life, but he was still faithful to God because he knew that God was sovereign over his life, that God was still good despite everything. I think about Paul, right? The Apostle Paul, he was beaten, he was mocked, he was ostracized, and eventually killed. But he hung on to a promise that, that Christ gave him. And For me, this, this promise is what I hang on to, right? It's like, no matter what terrible things come my way, right? No matter what happens to me or even to those around me, Christ is infinitely better and his grace is sufficient for me. This doesn't mean that I will be cured of my depression, right? Like, let's say I do have a, a natural chemical imbalance that causes depression, right? Like I may not be cured of that. If I have that, um, I may not lose those memories of the trauma of those things that cause PTSD, right? Like those things that triggered in me, right? Some people, they may be trusting in God with all their heart and they still may die from cancer. Some people may still remain jobless and even become homeless, you know? So it does not mean that Hey, you just have a little bit of faith in God, and He's gonna make everything a okay again. you're gonna get everything back. Just look at job, he has everything back, right? Like no, like that's not guaranteed to you. So what I would say would be like what this means is not getting all these things back or getting the way that I want life to be to happen. What it means to me is that despite all the worst things of life that could happen to me, I still have someone that walks through it with me. Remember, that was something I mentioned just a little while ago that was very important to me, right? It wasn't necessarily that, you know, my 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 fellow believers could fix my situation, right? No, it was that my community around me would walk with me. And so even even if Jesus decides to to not Take away your circumstances and allows you to continue through it, right? He's sovereign over that decision to allow you to go through it. He is walking there through it with you. So even if my head is on the chopping block and I am scared beyond my wits because I don't want to die, I can still have peace because I know that He is there with me and that ultimately this is going to pass. And as that axe or sword or whatever comes down onto my head, I will pass too, and I will pass from this life into the next, and I will be with him. I'm going to be okay, right? So even in the very most worst circumstance possible, me losing my life, I can still have peace and knowledge knowing that, hey, things are about to become better. So that's why while in my deepest, darkest pit of my life, there was even a moment that even while I was there burying my children... I was able, supernaturally, God was able to fill me with strength to recite a psalm of praise to him and to share the gospel message with those in in attendance. Because at that moment, it made sense for me that the pain, no matter how hard it, it was for me to bear and continue to bear the rest of my life, it is nothing compared to Christ Jesus. And, and, and I really found that in that moment that I, I really understood that truly in that moment, that these things that, that are afflicting me, whether it's my depression, whether it's a, a, a sickness or joblessness or, or loss of life, they are nothing compared to the glory of Jesus Christ. And um, that knowledge is, is what gets me through this time right now, right? even though things look bleak for me, right? You know, I sit here and I look at my savings account going down and I look at, um, the fact that I've been jobless for six months. And I look at the fact that I still have these reminders of the loss of my child and not able to provide for my wife, all the nice things that I want to give to her. And, um, I think about my family and some things that are going on in my family right now that I just found out yesterday. It was like, man, these are very tough times, but the knowledge that my life is in Jesus Christ's hands. It, 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 it oh, I don't want to say that it doesn't matter; these things are happening because it does matter. But it's almost as if they don't matter, you know. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how to really explain. I. It's like one of those things you really have to experience to, to really know. Um, so whether I am destroyed or restored, I take comfort knowing that He hears me, that He cares about me, He loves me even to His own death. Right. And that brings a level of peace. again, I, I can't explain it. I, I just know it because I've experienced it. Um, and, and I, I don't want to leave you with just that, okay. I, I know I've spoken more than what I was thought I was going to. I thought it was going to be a 45 minute uh, episode, and now I'm at an hour, 20 minutes, <laughs> and uh, I thought I was going to end this uh, you know 10 minutes ago or something like that, but hey, this is, I feel this is this is good enough to, um, to bring up, okay. I, I want to read you a story out of first kings 19 so let me click over there real quick and we are going to read a story about uh, you know something that happened in the bible okay and it, it, it ties into depression and dealing with life circumstances okay and so this is a very famous story um just to give you a little context this is the prophet elijah he had just faced off against what was it the 300 or 400 prophets of baal the false god of baal um and so he's, he's basically stood up to the wicked king of Israel at this time, um, who was Ahab, I believe, King Ahab, and the uh, Queen Jezebel. And so I'm just going to read through, you know, it's 21 verses, and i was going to read through it all, okay? Why not? It's my, it's my podcast. I can do what I want to. <laughs> so, this is going to be 1 Kings 19, starting verse 1. It says here, Ahab told Jezebel that all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me. And more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this this time tomorrow. So essentially she's saying, may the gods really kill me. Like if I don't come and kill you. Right. So she's, here's the queen threatening this prophet. So verse three, he was afraid. He arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down underneath a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down, and he slept underneath a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank. And he went into the strength of that food 40 days. I'm sorry, went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. This comes a very famous passage right here. Verse nine. Then he came to a cave and he lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied back, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of, of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. And God said to him, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. Behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? So Again, Elijah repeats what he said before, right? He says, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. This time the Lord says to him, listen, verse 15, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria, then Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shapheth, Shapheth? of Abel, Meholah. I'm not very good with these Hebrew names, sorry. (laughs) You shall anoint to be a prophet in your place. And the one who escapes the sword of Haziel shall Jehu put to death. The one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to this false god Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So Elisha departed from there, or Elijah departed from there and found Elisha, son of Shapheth, Shaphet, who was ploughing with twelve yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was the twelfth. And he he was with the twelfth, excuse me. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him, and he left the oxen, and ran after Elijah, saying, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said, Go back again for what I have done for what have I done to you? He returned from following him and took the yoke of the oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave them to the people. And they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. Okay. So did you catch what happened? there? There's a lot that happened. A lot that happened there. Okay. So Elijah had gone from, you know, the previous chapter, he was in this high point. He had proven these false prophets wrong. He proven that the God of Israel was true. It's like, yes, I'm a prophet of God. Look at this miraculous thing that I call a fire down from the heavens and it burned up this offering and it was all wet and everything like that. And there God was false and boom, we put to death all these false prophets and God's going to reign in Israel again. And man, it's happening, right? Really hard, like, or I'm sorry, not really hard, but a really like high point in his life, like, boom. But now, just a matter of like a day he was being threatened with the power uh, of the queen of Israel, right? Like she has the military might, she has probably the uh, assassins on call that she can send out to kill him. There are people willing to do her biting her bidding. (laughs) Um, And I've spoke, I've been speaking too long. Sorry. (laughs) They were willing to do her bidding and uh, he felt depressed. Did you see what happened to him? Let's look at it again. Right. Um, it says here that he went out and isolated himself from everyone. He sat underneath the broom tree and he asked God to kill him. Like, look, I've been there. I've experienced that same thing. And he said like, God, there's no one out here that, you know, that is going to, like. You know, there's no one left. I'm the only one left. I'm, I'm, I'm alone in this. Right. That's what he's saying to God, like God's saying, like, like after this whole period of, of him being out in the wilderness, like he comes to the mountain and he's like, God's like, why are you here? And, and he says, God, I'm the only one left. There's no one else who's going through the same thing that I'm going through and they're going to kill me. And just life is just terrible. And what does God do? Right. He gives him first a purpose, like, hey, you're going to go and anoint these people. Right. And this, and this purpose, you know, is going to try to restore, um. You know Israel for a time, right? Get rid of the idolatry and stuff. Um, so he gives him this purpose, this bigger purpose to keep going on. He gives him the hope of like saying, hey, there are others out there that are just like, you're not going through this by yourself. There are 7,000 other people who are going through the same thing that you're going through, right? Wow, community right there. And then he gives him, uh, you know, basically an assistant who, who is basically going to be passed on to this assistant, all the things that Elijah was doing. Right. So it's like, again, it's like, it's like another purpose in life, as well as having a companion beside you. Like God was taking care of him in this moment. And uh, ultimately God revealed to him. Right. On the Mount was Mount Horeb, right. He says like, Hey, I'm here. I'm here with you and uh, <laughs> this is the, okay, This, this is what I would say, right? If you are going through a circumstance in your life that is causing you to, to face anxiety, depression, to whatever, right? Even if you are going through a natural stage of depression where you're having a chemical imbalance and maybe you do need the medicine and stuff like that, right? Maybe it's not the circumstances. It's the nature inside of you. I would say this, let God work out whatever is happening. You, you know what I mean? Are there so much that we want to do, right? We want to be the ones that, that can fix ourselves. But as I said, like others can't fix us. We also can't fix ourselves. What we can do is we can let God work things out for us. He can sustain us, right? Like he gave Elijah some bread and it, it says cake, but I'm thinking that's bread and something to drink. Right. He sustained him. Um, and really, at the end of the day, the end might be good. It may not be bad. You know, it may not be good, right? Elijah didn't know at that time. Like, maybe he was still going to be killed, but maybe at this point, like, he's going to have enough life that he's going to be able to at least go out with a purpose and stay connected to God as opposed to just sitting there underneath the, the tree and dying in his sleep, right? Do you get what I'm saying? So you, you should know, right? Like, there's just a reality we have to accept that things could be good. Things could be bad. God is there with us, right? Um, there are others that are, that should be there willing to walk beside us. And I would imagine if you would look, you would find those people. I'm sure even in my darkest days when I lost my girls, you know, like I said, a lot of people abandoned me, but there were still people there that were, that were walking beside us. You don't have to feel alone in your struggle and if you can't identify those people at this very moment, like you're listening to this, and you're like, "Well, I don't know anyone that's willing to be like this with me," you know, wait a few days, okay? Pray about it. Ask ask God to reveal these people to you. And, and I, I can almost guarantee you that there will be at least one person that that will be identified to you that you can walk alongside through this process. And look, even if you can't identify them in the long term, right? If you're one of those rare cases where like just absolutely no one is around, I think you can rest easy knowing that Christ is there with you. And that's what we where we all should be resting easy. Like even if we have people around us, like they're not the ones that are making us feel better. It's Christ that's making us feel better. That's that's taking care of us. Um, one thing I'll, also I should note, right? I had this in my notes because I think this is important. We think about this passage, the still small voice. And sometimes that's, what am I trying to say? It's misappropriated for, for other uses, right? It's, it's one of those verses that gets abused and used and abused. And when you look at the Hebrew, the actual words that are there, it's translate a better translation would be a thin silence instead of a small voice. When I think about a thin silence or just a silence, right? Like this is like a a, a very abrupt silence. I think about everything around us stopping, right? This is the same idea as whenever Jesus, I think, told the winds and the waves to stop whenever he was on the boat, right? And the apostles were just so scared. And he just says, be still. That's what we have to do oftentimes is to actually just tune out everything that's around us, tune out our circumstances. It it may be hard, right? I'm not, I'm not saying it's easy to tune those kind of things out, but that may be a necessary thing for us to do in order for the process and the cycle of healing to begin. Like God doesn't need us to be all dramatic and fiery to stop what's going on in our lives, right? He only wants us to stop doing and start submitting. You see what I mean? Like you, you understand what I'm saying? Like, um, I, I, I really don't think there's going to be a still small voice that actually speaks to us like spoke, like I spoke to Elijah right and that's that's a different topic for a different day but ultimately what we know is that that, that God speaks through the truth of the scriptures. we can find truth in that um, He speaks through us to us through prayer, right So I would say that in, in reality, What we should do is whenever we're trying to figure out what what God's doing, first, you got to submit and just be like, God, whatever you're doing, just do it. I I, I realize that you are sufficient. You are enough for me. And whatever comes my way, it's your will, God. Your will be done, not mine. That's what Jesus said whenever he was being crucified, right? And so after those moments of crying out to God and and, and with all of our tears and anger and fear, we just need to stop and open up our, our Bibles. We need to submit to him let him work out the details. Try to tune out those things that are around you. Right. And I'm not saying don't deal with them. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, don't let them control you. Don't let them decide where your life is going. Don't let them say that today is going to be a bad day because these circumstances are, are, are controlling who you are. Um, Right? you can't you can't stop those circumstances. So, the last thing you need to do is to to worry about them. In some cases, you I I don't know. <laughs> Maybe this isn't the most sound advice. Maybe I'm not explaining it the way that I should. And I, I hope that you're. I hope you get the drift of what I'm trying to say. Right, deal with your problems, but don't let them overwhelm you. Maybe that's the best way to say it. Like, don't let these problems overwhelm you um, to the point that you can't do anything else. That God is absent from your life. Um, that you've actually just blocked him from your life, that you've just completely shut down, and if you have gone to a place of where you've shut down, you know you you have to you have to reach out to him. You have to find that place where you're you're in a place where it's just silent for a moment. All that matters is you and Jesus. That you are looking at him. He is with you, and the world may be crashing down on top of you. And that sucks. You realize that it sucks, but at least you're with him, right? Rather be with him when the world crashes down on you than be without him whenever everything's going great, in my opinion. So cry out, be still, submit, be with others, wait for God. Don't try to take dramatic actions in your life, especially if you're dealing with a deep depression and you were like where I was at in my life, suicidal ideation. Don't, don't do it. You know, I was just telling one of my siblings earlier, like, Hey, these problems, they're temporary, right? Taking your life is a very permanent pro- uh, you know, mistake. It's, it's very, it's very permanent. You can't undo that. You will never know how life is going to turn out if you take your life now in the midst of your problems. And I'm not saying that tomorrow, if you don't take your life, that your depression is going to be gone and financial situation is going to be fixed. Your marriage is fixed everything's going well for you, right? There's no guarantee that those things are going to happen for you. But I do think that it is better to go through life with him than to sit here and try to fix things on your own, to go through it alone. Right. I, I, okay. I'm going to go ahead and into this because, uh, you know, I've, I've spoken enough, uh, hour and a half. Wow. And, um, I hope it was helpful. It was, it was certainly was therapeutic for me to write out and to record, um, to kind of get these things out there. And I hope if anything that you got from this is that, Hey, you can talk other people, I hope will listen to you. And if they don't get a podcast and find other people to listen to you, (laughs) um, because that's what I had to do. (laughs) Um, and and remember, even if you feel like there's such sorrow today that there's no tomorrow for you, you can turn that all over to Jesus. And I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying it's all going to be automatically better tomorrow. It could be, right? It, it very well could be. And I hope it is. But Our expectations should not be that, hey, I'm giving this all over to Jesus because I want him to cure everything, you know, right? It should be, I'm giving this all over to Jesus because he is sovereign over my life. He knows what's best for me. And no matter what I go through, I want to go through it with him. And for me, I think that is something worth li- living and dying for. So that being said, next time we're going to, I hope the next recording that I will be dropping will be on the topic of grief uh, and loss with my wife and kind of how we're dealing with that. Um, and soon I hope you will be able to see all my recordings on Roman Catholicism. And I will certainly be glad to get them over with. Um, and until next time, go love the Lord with all your heart, all of your mind, and all of your soul. And then go and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Peace.